0: Get your day started right. This is VLC Breakfast with Gullah Fakir and Sabir Sheikh Gessar. The voice
1: of the Cape. Welcome to it. Let's get into our first feature this morning. Listener, you and I, we've gotta be real, and I've gotta be real with you as well. The Western Cape is struggling at present. Hospitals are full. We can no longer downplay the severity of the second wave of COVID-19. We need to understand that. To those of you who still think that this is being exaggerated, if you heard the interview with Yasin Kippi yesterday in which he spoke about the after effects of COVID-19, you'll we'll think again for our weekly Western Cape COVID 19 did this morning. As always, lovely chatting to Dr. Keith Kluter. Uh, he's the head of the Western Cape Health Department and always giving us some detailed um, analysis. Dr. Keith, thank you so much for your time this morning on Breakfast 91.3 FM. Significant news last Friday. I mean, I think you and I spoke on Thursday and then come Friday, um, our scientists have found that a new variant of COVID-19. Um, you know, have you established the transmission of this variant in the Western Cape?
0: Um, yes, good morning, Gulam, and good morning to the listeners. Um, yes, that, that announcement, Gulam, on Friday by the scientists, um, by Professor Dolavira and Professor Slim Karim, um, actually gave us a lot of insight of what has been happening in the Western Cape over the last four to five weeks. Um, so, when they made the confirmation of this new variant, Um, It is on the basis that the variant has been detected through their their genetic analysis, has been detected in Nelson Mandela Bay, has been detected in the Garden Route, and has been detected on the Cape Flats. So it's on the basis that that variant, which the characteristics of, is that it is much more infectious than the previous variants we had during the first wave. So it's confirmation that explains how rapidly and how fast this wave has spread, both in the Garden Route and now in the Cape Beto and all the other parts of the Western Cape as well. Yeah. And they have evidence to suggest that it is in KZM, it is in how and it's probably in every province in the country already. So that is what we're seeing, a much faster spreading a version of COVID-19 in so many more cases than we had the first time around.
1: Mm. Doc, let's look at uh, some numbers quickly. You know, what parts of the city has seen the most increases in, in new infections?
0: Um, in the city, the the, the, the biggest increases in new infections, which is um, way more than we saw the first time, mm. is the area that we call Western and Southern. So I'll explain to you what Western is. Western starts... Um, more or less at Hrotsky Hospital. So it starts at the hospital bench. So from Woodstock, um, above, from Woodstock onwards, all the way up to Atlantis. That includes, um, you know, Kensington, Woodstock, Kensington, all the way up. Right. And then you go all the way up to Atlantis, Mulmerton, all of those areas, Blauberg, all of that. That area, including Seapoint and the Atlantic Seaboard. That area. And uh, sorry, also it st- so it starts at Pinelands, and then it works its way up. Okay. Then, if you work your way down from that point, it is what we call southern. So from that point, come about Pinelands, below Pinelands, around the bush, all the way back down, all the way to Cape Point, which in this case also includes areas such as Howard Bay, Weinberg, Claremont. But then, more importantly, the areas where we see mm-hmm. a lot of increases is the Grassy Park, Ottery. And in the Lotus River area, then all the way to Sea Winds, Nisenberg, mm-hmm. all the way down to Fishuk, Komiki, and all of that. That too, Those two areas <clears throat> have seen mm-hmm. significantly more cases than the first time around. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily being in the township areas in those areas, it's in the built up areas. It's the, you know, where people, where there's formal housing. Um, that's why in the Ottery, Lotus River, Grassy Park, many more cases now than we saw the first time around. Mm-hmm. And similarly from Kensington, um, Pinelands, um, all of those areas, Mulrattan. And Sea Point, many more cases now than we saw the first time around.
1: Which is de- uh, uh, technically you could you could say it's a, it's a very large area. I mean, if you break it up like that, doc. But yes. I want to I want to also look at uh, you know, and, I, and I'm hoping that we're going to have enough time to go through all of these points that is, which I feel is very mm-hmm. very pertinent. Um, you know, every day here at the radio, you know, we receive a flood of funeral notices. You know, to yes. to to yeah. get read out on air. Are we seeing a spike in COVID 19 deaths at present?
0: What, what, what a bigger second wave means, Gula, um, is that because there's so many more cases and it also comes faster, um, it's different to what we experienced the first time around. So mm. if we had fewer cases the first time around and it came slower. So what we did is if you have the total number of cases, we can work out roughly about one to two percent of those cases, people are going to die. So if you make the math, you have more cases, and it's faster, you therefore have more deaths, but over a more concentrated time. Whereas the deaths were spread out the first time around and fewer, the deaths are more now, but in a shorter period of time. So therefore, the notices that you would get, the number of deaths per day and the number of deaths per week is much higher now than it was last time around. And they enhance. One of the biggest things that they have, because of that shorter, higher peak, um, the number of people having to be hospitalized is also more and in a more concentrated time. That's the pressure on the hospitals, and therefore also the pressure of people in the hospital, they also likely to die more. Therefore, the healthcare workers are also seeing many more deaths per shift than they would have seen the first time around. Mm. And that's the death notices. And in effect, that is what all of us are being touched. I'm pretty sure every single household has now been touched, that somebody knows that you know of somebody in your family or very close relatives or somebody very close to you that's been hospitalized. And secondly, you would have heard of beds very
1: close to you. Oh, no, absolutely. Talk in terms of the hospital capacity. You spoke about that, and I also refer to, mm. um, you know, to uh, Premier Alan Windy, uh, where he released some statistics yesterday. Two thousand six hundred and ninety-one patients are in hospital. 316 patients in ICU. It's the highest mm. number since COVID nineteen hit us. Doc. now. We're talking about the shortage of beds. Is there a shortage of beds, for example? And also, you know, if you were to look at um, the the uh, the. Field hospitals, like the one at the CTICC, people are asking whether or not government was, you know, just too quick to close um, the hospital. And in hindsight, if you think about it, was this a good decision to close the CTICC field hospital?
0: So, so let me let me first start with you. With hospital beds, the hospital beds, both in the private sector and in the in the public sector, is under severe pressure, and that means because this is an this increase in cases, more people require to be hospitalized. So the pressure is people have to go to the place where they are assessed, which is emergency centers. Mm. And from the emergency center, they have being seen and then placed into an available bed. Now, the pressure is on all the emergency centers that's attached to hospitals, and then on all the capacity where the person must go to once it's been confirmed that they need oxygen. Now, let me explain very really and carefully what we did the first time around. Now, I already said there were fewer cases and it was more spread out. We brought the CTICC along in case there was so significant pressure on the platform that there would be no other option but to place people in field hospitals. It was commissioned because the CTICC, at the time, we were under level three restrictions. At the time, the CTICC was not permitted to have conferences or do what it would do. It was just standing, and there was nothing happening in CTICC. Our contract with them was therefore to say we could do it very quickly, we can bring it online, but the contract specifically stipulated the moment the restrictions lifted, the CTICC needs to go back to the work that it is designed for. Um, so, when we had the first wave, we saw fewer people than we expected, and the pressure was not as acute across all the platforms, and therefore CTICC served a purpose. Um, but at any given time, we only had enough staff to open up about 400 of the 860 beds, and at the best, at the business time, there was 400 people in CTICC. Wow. Now, that was before we brought online the Brackengate Center. Now, Brackengate has the capacity for 338 patients. We brought that online, but at the first wave, there was never more than 10, 12 patients in Brackengate. We kept Brackengate open just in case we had the second wave, which is what happened. CTICC, we had to give back because the restriction level lifted and CTIC had to start its operation as a convention center, which it was designed for. Mm. So at the time we have Blackton Gate and our plan was when the second wave comes, we will repeat the capacity that we had at CTIC at our own hospitals. And you must remember, even at the time of CTICC, people didn't go directly to CTICC. They first had to go to an emergency center. Now, and from the emergency center, it was decided where's the bed? And if somebody could go to CTSC, they were taken from emergency centers to CTSC. That's yeah. exactly what's happening with Brackengate now. And that's what's happening with the additional capacity we've created on the premises of um, Lentegier Hospital for that. Now, there, there was also media that came out at the time that Gift of the Givers um, assisted us with opening an award called Freezy Award. That was yes. edition of it, And we're bringing online over the next week as well up to another Almost 200 beds on that site for this purpose. Mm. So the bed that was around in the system is more than was <clears throat> available at the time and stopped when we had CTICC. I just want to make that absolutely clear to people that that is the reason behind why we have what we have now.
1: Mm. What happened to um, the medical staff that worked at the CTICC? Just very quickly, Doc. You know, were yes. they re- perhaps redirected to other hospitals?
0: Yes. So the first thing is. Firstly, all the beds, all the things that we had, the oxygen points, all of that equipment was redistributed to all these other places. So all the things that we took out of the convention center because we had to return it in exactly the same shape as we got it, which was an open warehouse and an open convention center hall, we took that and repurposed that into the rest of the platform. Secondly, every staff member that was there, we, most of them actually moved into Garden Route, actually, because Garden Root was after the metro and into the rest of the platform on the metro. And some of them had to go to other provinces because you can remember at the time, there were a lot of nurses here from KZN. But what happened in KZN happened after the Western Cape and people actually returned back to KZN. A lot of the nurses had put in. Mm. We kept a whole database of all the nurses on the system. So a lot of people were given short contracts and redistributed across our platform. We are renewing those contracts, and we're actually taking in more people. So we're currently looking at taking in 1,200 nurses. Some of these, 40%, 40%, so about 600 of that, is, um, are these people that were in the first system and we are just extending the contracts, and we're bringing an additional 600 nurses from outside into our system. Because the big challenge for us is the infection rate amongst nursing staff. That is actually the big limiting step in terms of the ability to be able to staff all the wards that you have. And so I want you to have the wards and the beds. it's the nursing staff required to be able to look after the patient.
1: Right. Doc, uh, do you mind if I ask you just to hold on the line for me? I'd like to have, I'd like to just wa- ask you one or two more questions. The best way to get you going. Go, go, go is VOC Breakfast rest, rest, rest. with Gulam Fakir and Sabira Sheikh Up, Stop. only on The Voice of the Cape. Welcome back to Breakfast. Now, uh, just before the break, we were speaking and we're still continuing our discussion with Dr. Keith Clutter. He's the head of the Western Cape Department of Health, um, uh, giving us feedback with regards to the Digicon and answering some of our questions with regards to COVID-19 and the second wave. Now, uh, Doc, just before the break, we touched on, um, you know, what it is uh, that the scientists have found. We spoke about, you know, um, the, the deaths in the Western Cape. We spoke about the numbers. You explained to us, you know, um, uh, what is referred to as Western and Southern and so forth. We spoke about uh, the CTICC as a field hospital. One of the main questions that many are asking, you know, considering the fact that Premier yesterday came out with a statement giving us some shocking figures, you know, um, the, the the highest, uh, 34,694, uh, that was um, at 61% higher than the first peak of infections that the Western Cape is um, standing at. The highest single-day increase in cases in the first peak, it was 2,158. That was on the 29th of June. But our most recent high at this point in time is 4,500. 5- which is 108% higher, and people are saying that we are 17 days away from the actual peak of the second wave. If you look at the current decisions being made, the cause of the festive season, and you know of the economy, which is understandable, doc. But I mean, for beaches, for argument's sake, to still being argued to 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 remain open, is that a responsible call?
0: Um, um, let me just clarify, Gulam. The the signs that you talk about, one of the things that we have uh, that that is very clear is that the, because this virus spreads so fast and it is so infectious, it is very much that it is in the air, and therefore it is about being inhaled. So if you inhale other people's air, the signs and the evidence suggest that you are eighteen times more likely to get the virus by inhaling the air from, that has been exhaled by somebody else, if you are in an enclosed space or indoors. Right. So one of the big things is that gatherings indoors is much more dangerous than gatherings outside. So one of the big advices we give to everybody is, A, limit the amount of people you come into contact with. Keep it to your own secure bubble. Limit the amount of people you're going to come into contact with outside that you know that they are secure. Because one person from your bubble going and meeting other people that you don't know of. You come into contact with all the people they were in contact with, that introduces COVID into your bubble. Mm -hmm. So the spread is very much about enclosed spaces. And our advice actually, keep it small, keep it outside. If you are in enclosed spaces, don't spend more than 20 minutes inside, go outside, and avoid being in any place where there's more than 10, 15 people around. That's what the evidence suggests. So it's on that basis, that our advice is really about being outdoors, and keeping it small and not coming to close contact with other people. Wear your mask and social distancing. So the issue of the, 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 the beaches, that is an issue that the political party, the DA, took to court. It was lost yesterday and that the ruling has been made. Uh, but the issue is that it, from our estimation, being inside a mall is more dangerous than being outside in a park or being outdoors wherever you find yourself. So I just want to put that in context in terms okay. of that. The biggest thing is that there is significant pressure on the platform, as I said. And therefore, every continuous gathering of people and not observing distance and wearing masks continues to increase the number of circulating virus, therefore increasing the number of people that might require to go to hospital and might require oxygen. Therefore, our appeal is that everybody must work together. This is real the healthcare care system is under severe pressure. You also said, and it was in a news bulletin, that the nursing um, 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 organized labor bodies, the unions, yeah. are very concerned about their members. And, and I rightfully yeah. so, I mean, what we are saying at this point in time, our single biggest concern is the health workers that must work under these conditions. Yeah. There is currently 700 health workers that are positive. That is 2.3% of our total staff complement. They have to be, some of them have been hospitalized, some have died. And the, the strain that has been taken by healthcare workers is tremendous in this period of time. They are exhausted. They are tired. They've gone through the first wave. They thought that they would have a reprieve and a break. Now all of this is coming to them together with alcohol-infused trauma. It is a terrible time in the healthcare system. And people, And we are making a strong appeal to everybody in society. Please help us to protect
1: our healthcare system. Yeah. Doc, one last quick uh, question before uh, we need to wrap up. I've got about a minute left or so and I see some of my WhatsApp line um, messages coming through as well wanting to know, you know, at this point in time, I mean, I personally know of people who are experiencing COVID-19 symptoms but are unable mm-hmm. to afford a test. You know, what are the options at present because two people were already turned away to say just can isolate you because you're not displaying some enough symptoms to have the test done. You know, what are the options or facilities that are being... Um, you know, provided at this point in time, especially now that we know this, uh, the facilities are in overload uh, drive.
0: Yeah. So let me just let clarify that as well, Gunam. That is what happened the first time around as well. If all of us that have bile symptoms and all of us want to be tested, we put the person that requires the test most, which is the one that is really in need of oxygen, that is in the hospital, who needs to confirm that they have COVID to be separated from other people. We're putting that person at risk. So people are rightfully upset that they cannot have their tests. They have mild symptoms, they're young. Um, but just think of the person that's sitting in the hospital waiting and needing a test to be done and the result to come back. Because what happens is, if all of us go for testing at this point in time, the testing system gets overloaded. And the person sitting in the hospital waiting for their treatment has to wait two days. That cannot be. You mm-hmm. cannot make somebody fit that needs to be hospitalized or have oxygen. For to for So that's been our appeal, is protect our testing for the people that need it most, and that's the ones that needs to come into hospital. At the same time, also, for healthcare workers, it starts having symptoms, because that's the people that are supposed to look after us. So that's really just about redirecting our resources to protect that we can get the results back as quickly as possible mm. and do the best that we can do in terms of the circumstance. So that right. is that is a... A, a pragmatic decision we're taking about prioritizing what's in front of us to do the best with what we can in terms of that mm. Testing thing is available, you will wait a bit, but if you are in a certain age group, the people were, like people were saying if you are under forty five you have mild symptoms, you are not uh, somebody suffering from hypertension diabetes, and you don't have breathing difficulty that's the group of people that's being told. We are prioritizing this thing for the others. So the people need it more than you,
1: that's the ones we are prioritizing. Mm. Dr. Keith Clutter, Head of the Western Gap Health Department, thank you very much for your time, Doc. You know what? I would really, really like to invite you to come into Studio Wonder with all the amount of mm-hmm. questions and stuff that we've got lined up here, even on our WhatsApp line. I think it would only be um, you know, to justice and to wrap up our 2020, but the producers will probably be in contact with you. I appreciate your time, Doc, and all of the very best, and stay safe.
0: Thank you, Gulam. It
1: will be a privilege to do that. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. It's only a pleasure. Thank you, Doc. Bye-bye. Well, time now, 20 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. On the other side, we'll continue. This is Breakfast. Welcome to it.